Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of discipline. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. Paul, I got a question for you. Yeah? Have you ever been in a fist fight? I'm going to say no. How boring. I mean, I got in some fights when I was a kid, but nothing I'd quite call a fist fight. Tell me about these fights. I, you know, I had older brothers. Uh, I don't know how deep I should go about <laughs> this, but, uh, you know, Bob, Bob was a bit of a kicker. Oh. When he really got mad, the, the feet came flying. So there wasn't really ever a fist fight with him. I can, I can see how kicking can be tempting because it's like you can keep your distance, you know, keep your head far away from the other person and <laughs> yeah. still get some, you know. Yeah, I don't know some, where he got it from, but that was just always his default. Huh. And uh, Have Matt, we said his name? Have we said both of their names on the podcast before? I don't remember. Okay. Well, uh, these are these are Paul's brothers who are twins, if that, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Paul is not a twin. Paul's right. brothers are twins. Right. Um, Older brothers. You said that, right? Yep. Yep. Matt's not really a fighter, you know? Sure. Not saying he's, he's afraid or anything. Bob's the bad boy in the family. Uh, when he loses it. <laughs> but Matt, Matt would get you with like a sneak attack and then he'd be gone. There was no like, I'm going to fight you till one of us is down. He like would he just was, like pop in, take out his anger in one strike, and then he was gone before retaliation could could hit. So he was more into like a ninjutsu style. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sneaky. Yep. Stealth. Yep. So I, I never really like stood toe to toe with either of them and like exchanged punches. Interesting. And I, I, you know, I'm a pretty in control guy. I never, I never started any fights. I just finished the <laughs> Wow. Seeing a new side of Paul coming out today. And in my adult life, I have never been in a fight. Like the last time I was in anything you could call a fight, I was like 14 maybe. You go to the bars a bit. Do you ever get a guy that's like just looking for a fight? Yeah, I have. I am, I'm not saying I could do this forever to everyone, but I am a master of like diffusing situations. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, there's And I got to say, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. That's your personality. I haven't even had like a friend get in a fight while I was there with them at the bar cuz like I would step in and like end that shit. <laughs> What's your best tactic? Humor or uh just general reasonableness? Um definitely more like reasonableness. Coming in like laughing when people are like that tense isn't always oh yeah isn't always the best move I think yeah I don't know I don't know I don't know I feel like I've got the right like energy or body language or like my level voice I, I don't know what it is but you're just a pretty chill dude yeah but like hey guys th this is dumb knock it off you tell them knock it off and they don't redirect your anger towards you yeah pretty much all right anyway. That was an interesting dive into Paul's violent history. Yeah, or but lack thereof. What about you, Jason? Oh, that's not important. <laughs> oh, hey, J we all know Jason was the bad boy. No, that's ridiculous. Uh, the, some of the stories you've told me about teenage Jason. Oh man, I don't have any oh, idea what you're talking I, about. I wish we hung out when we were like 14. I I can't even imagine how wild you were. I wasn't getting into fights or anything. I was just lighting stuff on fire. <laughs> yeah, lots of stuff. But no, I never got in like a real fight. 
I've punched people. <laughs> but, you know, usually it's one punch and it's done. You punch someone in the face? In the head? In the head, not in the face. Okay. Okay, fair enough. So anyway, are we ready to move on now? Is that enough detail yeah, for you? Yeah, you brought all that up. <laughs> Today we're talking about Japanese martial arts. Fighting, basically. Kind of. Yeah, maybe. Not Some, always. Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so martial arts are known in Japanese as budo, bujutsu, or buge. And I want to spend a little time on these three terms for a second, if I may. Yeah, please. So these days you might see these terms used more or less interchangeably, but apparently, historically at least, there were subtle distinctions between them. So I'll say them again. Budo, bujutsu, and buge. You'll notice that all three of these start with bu which is a kanji that refers to the martial part. Martial, having to do with the military or war. But then in budo, we have the same do that we saw in chado, the way of tea, or kado, the way of flowers, or even in bushido, the way of the warrior. So budo is something like the martial way, or the way of war, the way of combat, something like that, right? Yeah. So, it seems to me that this word, the specific term, budo, might refer to martial arts as sort of a spiritual practice or a lifestyle. This may be more about self-improvement than it is about actual warfare. That's the idea that I got. And that was kind of the impression that I had always had of karate, right? Like, karate is, depending on the type of karate or whatever... Like, it might not be super useful to you in a street fight or whatever, but it's like people, people study karate for their own physical fitness, and I always heard about, like, some kind of, like, training of the mind or, like, strengthening your own will or something like that, right? Yeah, it's kind of like mastering yourself internally. Exactly. That's a good way you of know, putting through, it. Through the disciplines and exercises of the martial arts. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I had my idea of like all Eastern martial arts kind of, which is probably wrong because that's an incredibly diverse field I'm finding more and more. But that's kind of always the idea I've had of martial arts is, you know, it's about yourself internally and finding balance and peace inside of you. Yeah. Although then I found out about Muay Thai and it seems to be about just beating the crap out of the <laughs> other guy. Well, there, like you said, it's really diverse. There's a lot of stuff out there. And a lot of, especially modern martial arts, do focus on kind of your internal development. But there are definitely ones that focus very much on how to hurt somebody. <laughs> yep, yep. So, uh, so we talked about budo. One of the other words, bujutsu. Jutsu means an art or a technique. So historically, it sounds like this term would have referred more to the application of specific techniques in combat. So when you're talking about like, how do I hurt a person most efficiently? You're talking about bujutsu, right? Uh, yeah. And then the third word was buge. That gay is the same kanji that's in the word geisha, meaning art. So this is like the artfulness of these martial techniques. And there's more of a focus on like how the art is refined over time. Yeah. I mean, I think of it art you watch a movie with like Jet Li in it, you know, the martial arts in there are very artistic. Like they look great on camera. Although that's, you know, Chinese, but that's what I think well, when I think martial arts film. Yeah. Well, a lot of Japanese martial arts are based in, like they have their roots in Chinese martial arts anyway. But yeah. 
So I just thought it was interesting looking at these words and also thinking about just the term martial arts, because when I always heard martial arts, I thought of things like kung fu and karate and whatever. And it always seemed like it was like, I just had this vision in my head of kind of, okay, unarmed combat, people wearing kind of like robe type things. Yeah. And, you know, back to that idea of like personal development and just kind of the the cool Asian fighting stuff that you see in movies, you know? <laughs> but when you think about that term, martial art, we're talking about like the art of war. It, it never really occurred to me that that word martial implies war. Yeah. And the military, you know? Yeah. So in Japanese martial arts, they're divided into two main categories called Koryu and Gendai Budo. And this kind of is set up really well by what you just said about martial arts referring to military application. Anything in Japan that existed prior to the Meiji Restoration in 1868 is considered Koryu, whereas if it developed after that, it's Gendai Budo. And the Gendai Budo are much more in the camp of the it's more important that we're developing ourselves than it is that we're actually learning how to fight real people in a war. Yeah, so basically you have like old school martial arts that were about fighting and the modern martial arts that are more about personal development. Those are kind exactly. of just the two main categories. And I guess in my mind, I really only thought about the modern martial arts. You know, I'm thinking like karate, judo, jujitsu, aikido. I'm like, Barely familiar with those, but that was what came to mind. But researching this, I was just blown away at the sheer number of martial arts out there. And there are things that can be considered martial arts that I never would have even thought to group into that same category. Yeah. Because it can really cover pretty much anything, any skill that can be useful in combat. Right. Like researching this and being like, one of the original most important martial arts was riding a horse. Right. You know, like, oh, I guess if you think about it, that would be incredibly important for war. Samurai spent a lot of time on horses. Like, for a long time, that was their main way that they did battle, was on horseback with bows and arrows. Yeah, and that was just something I never thought of as a martial art. Right. So, you know, the world of martial arts is enormous, and we can't possibly do everything justice in one episode. We can't cover every style or school. There are literally thousands of them. Yeah. So we're just going to use this episode to try to give an overview of the world of martial arts, give you an idea of what's out there, the types of weapons that can be involved, how they're categorized. and maybe the key concepts. Yeah. And maybe in future episodes, we'll go into specific styles. But yeah, there's just so much. Yeah. I mean, we already did a whole episode just on sumo which is a martial art. Yeah, I didn't really think of that as a martial art either, but it totally is one. And that was a fascinating episode diving into that. There was tons and tons of info. Not to pat ourselves on the back too hard, but (laughs) it was a pretty good one. Well, that one was good too, because you have been to a sumo match in Japan, Jason, so you had really good insight on what that's like and what you're going to experience. I hadn't been to one when we did that episode, though. Oh, you had it? No. I oh, talked about it in, ta- in the recap. Okay, I remember us talking about that. Yeah. Okay, so you got to listen to the Sumo episode, then you got to listen to Jason's travel recap. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That day at that Sumo tournament was so freaking cool. 
I know you describing it. I was like, man, I wish I was there. I would go again. If you have a chance to go to a sumo tournament, take it. So in Japan, if you are a practitioner of martial arts, you get the ka suffix. So if you practice judo, you're a judo ka. Similar to many other aspects of Japanese life, such as being a mangaka means you're a manga artist. Or a musician is ongakuka. Ah, that's cool. But does it get more specific too? Can you be like guitarist ka or whatever the, whatever the Japanese Good question. word? I don't know. Let me let me use my translate app and see what guitarist translates to. Okay. Guitarist translates to guitaristo. Ah, I was worried it would be the English version. Yeah, that's not helpful. There's probably a different word. Or maybe there's not because a guitar isn't a traditional Japanese instrument. So the Japanese, like, Japanified uh, English words, I forgot, or I didn't forget, I just didn't bring this up in the beer episode, but you know, it's like, beer in Japanese. I feel so weird when I'm in Japan and I'm trying to say an English word, but that's been Japanified. Oh, yeah. I Oh, man. I like trying to order a beer, trying to not, not say beer. Biru. And I just ended up saying it really bad where I would have been better off just saying beer anyways. Yeah. At least that's how I always feel. I always feel I do that so bad. I know what you mean. Biru onigashimasu. I've thought about that. I mean, even on the podcast, you know, we're talking about all these Japanese words and it's like, do I say it like an American would say it or do I try to say it like a Japanese person would say it and probably make myself sound really stupid, you know? Yeah. You're gonna be like, oh, are you a guitarist? You're gonna be like, oh, guitarista or whatever. (laughs) Like even already in this episode, I talked about karate. (laughs) In English, you know, we say karate, but it's Karate. Yeah, yeah. You almost never hear someone here say karate. It's karate. Yeah. And well, that's the funny thing is if you do hear somebody say, oh, yeah, I know karate, they sound like a douche, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was actually thinking for this episode, how should I say that word? And I was like, I was leaning toward karate, like trying to always do it right. But then I was like, then I thought about the way they take English words and make them sound Japanese. And I was like, ah, that's just us doing the same. It is. Karate is just how, it's just easier for us. Yeah. And that's just how everybody knows that word now. And that's how it's always going to be in English. Yeah. And I'm at peace with that. All right. Well, yeah, you say things however you want to say it, Paul. I always have. You know that. (laughs) Well, I, since this is a podcast about Japan, I'm going to do my best with the, you know, try to keep with the Japanese pronunciation. Thank you. Generally, but sometimes Thank I'll you. slip, you know, you. whatever. So I did find, uh, I, got, I got a fun fact about Japanese martial arts that I didn't know. Fun fact me, Paul. In Japan, the warrior and thunder god, Take Mikazuchi no Kami, is considered the patron of all martial arts. And many dojo, which are the training halls, still have small shrines dedicated to him. I did not know that before researching this episode. Me either. It's time for history, Jason. It sure is. I believe you mentioned in the intro that there might be some Chinese influence in the beginnings of martial arts in Japan. Oh, sure. But let me go back further. Oh, okay. Okay. We going all the way back to China? Well, when it comes to humanity and violence, things go back to pretty much the very first human beings, right? Absolutely. And weapons. 
weapons go way back too. Mm -hmm. Even as apes, we were using tools and stuff. And then, you know, humans came along and they're like, wait a minute, we can use tools for murder too. This is great. (laughs) Anyway, the point is people developed various ways of fighting over time. But when we talk about the term martial arts, we're talking specifically about more codified fighting systems that are taught and passed down through generations, right? Yeah, absolutely. How do you pronounce that word? Codified or codified? I've always gone with codified, Mm. I think. I looked it up. Apparently both are acceptable pronunciations. Okay. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those words I read way more than I hear or say. You don't hear people saying it very often. Yeah. So yeah, many of Japan's martial arts have their roots in China, where they were a way for Buddhist monks to train their minds and bodies so they could sit in meditation for hours at a time. That seems crazy, that that's what they were doing martial arts for, so they could meditate. Gotta get your exercise. I guess. But there's been a lot of uh, stories in history, too, of monasteries being able to need to defend themselves. That's true. Uh, times of unrest and whatnot. So there is some uh, usefulness to the monks learning how to fight. Did you see that picture of that guy, the warrior monk guy? No. It was on like the Japanese martial arts Wikipedia page. There's a picture of this oh. guy and he looked so awesome. <laughs> okay. It's just like, the I don't know, the idea of warrior monks seems just really cool to me. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was pretty fun uh, D&D class back in the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So for these monks, eventually these martial practices started to involve weapons, and these techniques made their way from China to Japan around the 7th century, when a whole lot of stuff was coming Yeah, to when all the Japan other stuff came from China, too. Yeah. And of course, as Japan does, they took these ideas, and they built upon them, and they refined them, and they turned them into something uniquely Japanese. Yep. Around the 10th century in Japan, the samurai class really started to emerge as a dedicated warrior class. So they really took the ideas of martial arts and really started refining them in that Japanese sort of way and adding to it everything that they were learning in their warfare at the time. Yeah, this was a really important time period for the development of Japanese warfare because over the next 600 years or so, there were a lot of opportunities for samurai to get in a lot of battles. So they're kind of constantly thinking about the way that they're fighting and making them better because that that was like their job that was what they did with their whole life you know yeah i thought it was really interesting the cycle with the martial arts at the time was there'd be x amount of years of peace and they would get to basically codify what they learned from the last war and think about what they can do in the next war and try to develop their styles further and further, and then the next war inevitably happens, and they get to try to put into practice all the things that they've been thinking about and the new ways they're doing their style. And there was that constant in and out of war, in and out of war for hundreds of years there, where they got to further and further refine their disciplines based on what they had learned. Mm -hmm. So at this time, martial arts involved a lot of different weapons. I mean, we, we talked in the samurai episode about how samurai used a lot of different weapons. You know, people usually think of them these days with their sword as the main thing, but you know, back then the, the bow was arguably more important than the sword, and they were fighting on horseback a lot of the time, so those skills like horseback riding, swimming even, like anything 
that you would use in everyday life, all these practical skills were kind of the original martial arts. You needed to know all these skills to be able to fight effectively. The modern idea of martial arts being more of a philosophical or spiritual practice, even if you don't actually plan to be fighting anyone, didn't really come about until the Edo period, which started in the 1600s. And this makes a lot of sense because this was the first extended period of peace that Japan had seen in centuries. So the samurai class did still exist at this point, but they didn't have any wars to fight. So they had time to like dive into the philosophy of combat and really start to examine it as like an art form. And that's where we see the idea of it being treated as like in the same vein as Chado and Kado and Kodo, those arts around tea and flowers and incense, they could start to look at combat in the same way. Yeah, the further and further you get into the Edo period, you've got 250 plus years of peace in Japan. You're 30 years into that and hardly any of your samurai have ever fought a war anymore. The samurai themselves started switching more to a class of bureaucrats and other jobs rather than warriors because warriors weren't needed anymore. So I think the martial arts kind of formed with them. They didn't give it up, but I'm a bureaucrat. I don't need to practice for war anymore, but I need exercise. I need to develop my mental prowess and discipline. So it, it started morphing into something that was giving them back that they needed at the time. Totally. So the Edo period ended in 1868 with the Meiji Restoration, and this marked a big turning point in the world of martial arts. So you can divide all Japanese martial arts into these two main categories based on whether they originated before or after the Meiji Restoration. We're going to keep repeating this because this is an important point, I think. Yeah. So the Koryu Bujutsu are the old school, traditional martial arts based around actual practical fighting skills for war. And you're going to notice when we start talking about these like specific examples, you'll see that a lot of the names for these include that word jutsu, which I mentioned in the intro, indicates that these focus on practical techniques more than they do the philosophical side of things, right? Yeah. And then Gendai Budo are the arts founded after the Meiji Restoration, which primarily focus on self-improvement. They're thought of as spiritual or philosophical practices, and you'll see a lot of these names include Do, that word, that kanji that means like the way of this thing. Mm -hmm. So that's where it's more encompassing of the philosophy and the artistry more than the practical application in actually fighting people and trying to kill them. Yeah, that's a really nice breakdown, I think. I mean, reading into this, I think it does seem to even get more murky because it's like, do you still teach it exactly the same way that it was taught in ancient times? Or if you've modernized it at all, now some of your peers might say, oh, well, that's not traditional anymore. Right. Now you, now you don't belong in our group anymore. Yeah, do you need to call it a new thing now? Do you, is it a completely separate thing, or is there some overlap? And there does seem to be a lot of overlap. Like, these aren't 
you know, hard, like completely 100% separate categories. There is a lot of in one way, wiggle room. Reading about all these different schools and stuff, it almost reminded me of like the history of Christianity. Where especially here in oh, America, man. we've got so many different denominations because it's always like, eh, one guy is like, ah, oh, no, no, no. I think there's this one thing we should do this way. And like the other people just can't accept that. Like, oh, boom, new church. That's like 98% the same, but there's one little thing different. And that just keeps happening and happening and happening. And you get all these different schools that are a lot alike usually, but slightly different. I was absolutely making that exact same comparison in my head. Thinking about all these schools totally is like religion splitting off and splintering into all these little things. Yeah, Yeah, some people want to modernize. Some people want to, no, I'm going to keep doing it exactly how we always have. Mm -hmm. That's normal, I guess. Yep. So in the modern day, we have thousands of schools or styles of Japanese martial arts, and they're being taught all over the world. Some are more popular and well-known than others, of course. So when we start going through these, I bet some of these you will be very familiar, at least with the word or the idea of it, but some of them will probably be new. They definitely were to me. Yeah, quite a few of these I'd heard of, but there were definitely a few that I, that I had not heard of. So should we go over some of the more popular styles of martial arts in Japan? Sure. Starting sure. with the... Koryu Bujutsu, since old they're school. the old school, you know? Definitely. I feel like we should start with sumo, because I think that's probably the oldest Japanese martial art. It has to be. Because that goes way back to ancient Shinto traditions. And it's one that is truly 100% Japanese from start to finish as well. Totally. And it ties in with the, uh, I mean, the very origins of Japan, like the mythologies about the gods, you know, the very earliest gods, they practice sumo. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, sumo is Japan's national sport. We talked about it in depth in episode 11, so I don't want to go into a ton of detail here, but... Yeah, some of the other martial arts are really popular, but I get the feeling that, like, sumo is number one. Sumo is a major sport in Japan. The sumo wrestlers that are good are superstars. Isn't that funny? Thinking that, I mean, yeah, it's probably fair to say that sumo is the most popular martial art in Japan. But I feel like most Americans, if you ask, like, what's the biggest Japanese martial art, what do you think they would say? Karate. I think that's the main one. Most it's the Americans biggest here, but everybody's going to know what sumo is, though. True. You ask him what sumo is, everybody's going to know what it is. But I bet they wouldn't even have thought of it as a martial art. Yeah, maybe not. Anyway, the word sumo translates to striking one another. That's my favorite sumo fact. <laughs> That's just hilarious to me. Basically, the goal of sumo wrestling is you want to push your opponent outside of the ring or get him to touch the ground with something besides his feet. Yep, the matches are very quick and very exciting. One of the most interesting things I thought about sumo was learning about the process of becoming a sumo wrestler how the young men go off to the stable you know and they live as the lowest rung and try to get in training when they can and have to like work really hard and work their way up to try to be successful someday and cash in yeah it's a really really interesting system definitely you know paul i looked back at my notes about sumo for episode 11 
we actually called sumo a gendai budo, which did is we? the modern martial art. How did that happen? Well, it's because by most people, it is considered a gendai budo. Really? Because yeah. it's changed or, or because it was never used for war, really? It's definitely ancient enough. I didn't see anything saying exactly why that is, but I did see confirmation that technically it's a koryu bujutsu. Okay. It's very old school. It can't get more old school. Right. But I think we also talked in that episode about how what we currently know as like the sport of sumo wrestling, that stuff didn't develop until later. Although it was still like mostly during the Edo period, wasn't it? That it kind of formed into pretty much what it is now. Yeah, like it definitely hasn't like changed a lot in the last 50 years or anything. And it's still very ritualistic. Like it, you go watch sumo, it seems like you're watching something from the Edo period. Sure. Yeah, I don't know exactly why it's often called a Gendai Budo these days. But my that's my best guess is that you know, it's changed so much over the years, and the modern reincarnation is relatively new. I don't know. Okay. So as I mentioned before, most people associate samurai with their swords. But for a big chunk of samurai history, using a bow was actually a more important skill. So the martial art having to do with the bow was called kyujutsu. So for a long time, samurai rode around on horses shooting arrows at their opponents. In fact, the way of life for a warrior, for a samurai, was known as Kyuba no Michi, the way of the horse and bow. Okay. Isn't that cool? Yeah. This, of course, changed when guns showed up in Japan in the mid-1500s. It kind of made the bow more or less obsolete when it comes to the battlefield. Yeah. Now, Paul, what is a samurai going to do if somehow they are unarmed? They don't have anything to fight with they need to be able to survive in that situation right yep well that's where you've got jujutsu which is the art of indirect force using things such as joint locks and throwing techniques to defeat an opponent yeah so this is really focused on unarmed combat and that name jujutsu so we know already that jutsu means like techniques right the Jew part means gentle. So this is about, it's like it's a gentle way of fighting in the sense that you're not directly attacking your opponent. Like you're not punching at this guy that's holding a sword, you know? That would yeah, be dumb. Yeah. So instead, you want to manipulate your opponent's power and redirect their energy away from you, basically. So there are a lot of grapples and holds and ways of disarming your opponent. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, your only chance probably against an armed opponent would be dodge their strike and get in close and grapple with them and bring them down. Mm-hmm. If you tried just charging in there to throw a kick, you'd, you'd, be, you'd be dead. Right. And you may, I just want to throw this in there. You may hear jujitsu and think, wait a minute, that sounds real close to jujitsu. I've heard of jujitsu from the Matrix movie. <laughs> yeah. Neo was like, oh, now I know jujitsu. What's up with that? They basically mean the same thing. Usually in the US, you'll hear jujitsu, but they're, they're referring to the same thing. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so what about those swords? You know, the samurai, of course, in a certain part of their history, they did carry around swords everywhere they went. 
So they need some martial arts about how to use those swords, right? Yeah, yeah. There's Kenjutsu, which literally means the art of the sword or the science of the sword, depending on how you translate it. The technique of the sword. So let me back up for just a second, if you don't mind. Okay. Because we talked about swords a lot in episode 23. We talked all about the katana and the wakizashi and the daisho. The daisho is this set of two swords that samurai would carry around. One is long, one is short. So if you want to hear more about the actual swords themselves, go check out episode 23. So since these swords were so important, they're kind of these different categories or different sets of skills around how to use them. So my impression of that word kenjutsu, it seems like it can be used to refer to like sword skills in general, but these days it's usually used when you're talking about training with a partner. Yeah, specifically two people practicing together with wooden katanas, practicing certain predetermined forms. So it looks pretty cool. They're going back and forth, swinging their wooden swords at each other. Yeah, it seems like it would be fun. Paul, did you see anything about Bato Jutsu? Like, did you watch videos of it? No, but this one made me think of anime. Oh, sure. I think I see how you get that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Bato Jutsu literally means the art of drawing a sword. So it was developed as an aspect of swordsmanship that really focused on efficient draw and drawing the sword and then cutting down an enemy and returning the sword to its scabbard. Kind of like just one deadly move. I saw some videos. And this stuff is incredible, man. <laughs> so imagine a situation. Maybe you're walking down the street. You got your die show, your two swords hanging by your side, right? And then all of a sudden, somebody attacks you just out of nowhere. And you need to react instantly. You need to draw your sword. You need to defend yourself. The people that practice batojutsu they can draw their sword, like the time between the moment that their hand is on the hilt and the time that their blade meets their opponent's blade is about half a second. It's pretty good. And it's just insane to watch. Like it's just a flash of steel and then boom, their sword is right there, you know? And they talked about how like, it's not even just about pulling the sword forward out of the sheath. You're also pulling the sheath back with your other hand to just get, you know, <laughs> a few dozen milliseconds more time yeah. that your blade is free from the sheath. I don't know. Just It was really cool. I thought this was really fun to watch. Yeah, so it's very much focused on self-defense and counterattacking. Like somebody comes at you and you react to their move mm -hmm. and uh, get them. Get them real quick. Right. So another sword skill is known as Iaijutsu, which means something like the art of mental presence and immediate reaction. <laughs> so that sounds a lot like batojutsu, right? And it does actually seem like there's a lot of overlap. In fact, a lot of the time, these terms might even be used interchangeably. But I got the impression that eijutsu focuses more on perfecting the form. So there's more like technical complexity, and they're maybe focusing more on the actual drawing of the sword and not so much on the strike after they draw their sword, which might fall under batojutsu. But again, like different schools are going to have different ideas of exactly where the lines are drawn between these things. Yeah, and like 
for some of these two, it seemed like some of the schools encompassed multiple ones. Like to learn how to draw a sword quick, you might not have to go specifically to a Batojutsu school. There might be some other school of martial arts that also teaches various sword techniques that could include something very similar. Right. Uh, another jutsu I saw was Naginata Jutsu. And this one's really interesting. So it is the art of wielding uh, Naginata, which is similar to a glaive, if you're familiar more with European-style nope, weapons. don't know what a glaive is. Give me something simpler, Paul. It's a spear with a sword at the end. Beautiful. I can imagine that. Yeah, like a small sword on the end of a spear. Uh, actually, very, very useful weapon of war. And this one's interesting of note because the majority of participants are women. These days. Yeah. And that seems to date back because ladies-in-waiting and women were actually taught how to use these in the past as like a last ditch, I think, during all these warring periods to defend their home when their husbands were away at war. Exactly, yeah. That was the impression I got, is like it's like women in samurai families would have this skill and this weapon to defend their homes when the samurai are off fighting. But samurai would also use naginatas in battle themselves, right? Oh yeah, they were very much used by men too. So the leaders of the different schools of this are usually women too, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And I actually saw a video of this and uh, they were all wearing beautiful kimonos. It was really cool. It was really cool. Nice. You know, doing the hitting and screaming with the choreographed moves and stuff and the big spears flying around. I liked it. If you were interested in a girl and you found out that she was really good with the naginata, would that make you like her more or less? I could only say more. I don't know why it would make me like her less. Yeah, some, some people don't like, you know, uh, strong, independent, weapon-wielding women. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if knowing martial arts necessarily makes someone independent. But yeah, I, I like strong women. It means they have a certain strength of character, right? Yeah, I like independent women too. So yeah, not a problem for me. All right. Probably like, I guess I'd like her more. What if she's good with a switchblade? Does that change oh, your... dude, that's sexy. I don't know. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that weird of me? Did I just find a new fetish? I don't know. Switchblade is more like bad girl type vibe. I know. I, I like bad girls, bro. It's a problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Now let's talk more about this. <laughs> Let's, Let's do an episode about Paul's romantic life. <laughs> oh God, these, or, this is my nightmare, Jason. <laughs> or we could just talk about sojutsu. Let's do that. Okay. Sojutsu is the art of using a spear, called in Japanese uh, yari, Y-A-R-I. But these spears were not designed for throwing. They were designed for thrusting jamming it into somebody's guts. Right, Paul? Yep. So these spears would have a double-edged blade, 30 to 75 centimeters, that's 12 to 29 inches in length. Okay. And spears, I mean, spears weren't just big in Japan. Spears were popular for medieval combat all over the world because why fight with a sword when you can reach even further and stay safe with a long spear? Yeah, I'd take the guy with the spear over the guy with the sword every day. Reach is incredibly important. Definitely. And when you got those uh, a phalanx, right? Yeah. 
the spear just pops out between the shields and yeah, ah, gets pretty somebody. much invincible. Yeah. Is there another term there? There's like flanks and then there's another word, right? Um, I don't know. I think I think phalanx is the most popularly used one, but uh, yeah, there were different versions of that that evolved more and more over time. Like I'm, the Romans used something similar, but I can't remember the name. It was a little different. I don't know. Maybe maybe they called it the same. I think I saw a video of some like history teacher at a middle school or a high school or something that had all the kids get together with like these little plastic or like foam swords and shields and they actually <laughs> formed a phalanx. Yeah. Phalan- so phalanx is, that's probably wrong. Phalanx, right? phalanx is how I've heard it pronounced. Another one of those words that I only ever read. You don't hear people <laughs> talking about that very often. I watch too many YouTube history videos about like ancient wars and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, I only have one more uh, Koryu Bujutsu left. Oh, uh, what's that? Shinobi no Jutsu. Wait, wait, wait. Shinobi? I know that word. I bet you do. Ninjas? Yeah, this martial art could also be called ninjutsu. Okay. And it refers to arts used by ninjas or shinobi. So this covers, I mean, this could be tons of stuff, right? To be an effective ninja, you need to know how to do all sorts of things. Because ninjas were essentially covert agents or spies or mercenaries in feudal Japan. Like they were supposed to be able to get into places secretly and gather information or maybe assassinate people. Yeah. I saw a list of skills you might be trained on included espionage, disguise, escape, sabotage, assassination, concealment, medicine, (laughs) explosives, poisons, and archery. Randomly medicine in there, like a million ways to kill people. Uh, But then also like maybe that goes along with the uh, espionage and diplomacy and stuff. Maybe you need to keep the right person alive sometimes. Oh, sure. Or you need to counteract the poisons. Maybe that's why you needed to know the medical stuff. Maybe you need the medical stuff so you know how to make the most effective poison (laughs) or know how, like, the best way to strike at somebody. You know, if you only get one shot or something, Uh, you got to know where to hit them, right? The vital spots. Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, so let's talk now about these more modern forms of martial arts. These are the ones that originated after 1868 Meiji Restoration, right? Correct. Did I say Gendai Budo yet? Yeah, I think so. In that sentence, did I just say that? I think so. Okay. I'll say it again. Gendai Budo. These can also actually be referred to as Shin Budo, which means new martial arts. Okay. Uh, So again, these ones are going to focus more on the spiritual and mental development of the practitioner rather than practical fighting skills used to kill people. Yeah, and you've maybe heard of more of these. Yeah, probably. Where should we start, Paul? Uh, I was going to start with judo. Okay. Quite famous. It's actually taught to, I think, MMA people still learn judo these days it's like actually a very useful fighting style well what's really interesting what i thought was fascinating is when you look at that word judo 
it's like you got the do, the way of, and the ju, which goes back to jujitsu or jujitsu, right? Yeah. This is just the modern form of jujitsu. Like it's the same thing. It's just the focus leans a little more towards the philosophical side. Yeah. But they still got all the good joint locks and throws and things. Yeah, it can definitely still be useful. And again, depending on which school you're in, some of them might stay more true to the original fighting skills that were developed hundreds of years earlier. Or some of them might be like, we're really not about fighting people as much as we are like yeah. learning techniques and improving ourselves. With MMA becoming more and more popular, I can definitely see different schools, like some of them leaning into that and further developing the grappling and the wrestling and others being like, we're not about fighting. Totally. Uh, so I have a little bit of detail about the origins of judo. Okay. So judo was created in 1882. So not long after where that, dividing line was between these two categories. Uh, there was a guy, Jigoro Kano. He wanted to form a system that brought together all of these old jujutsu traditions that existed at the time. And so he formed judo as like a jujutsu for the modern world, <laughs> you could say. So again, just like jujutsu we talked about, this is like the gentle way. There's no punching or kicking. It's an unarmed art form generally involving using throws and holds to take your opponent to the ground and immobilize them. Yeah, and I think one of his goals was to be able to have more competition with it. And that's why he got rid of a lot of the more violent stuff. Like he kept the stuff that you could actually, you could actually wrestle and grapple with each other without someone getting seriously hurt. That's another really good point about these modern martial arts is that a lot of them are sports. Yeah. And, you yes. know, the old school ones were about killing people. The new ones are more about, you know, there's a lot more competition involved, friendly competition. Yeah. It's about <laughs> testing yourself and improving and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I saw judo described as a combination of jujitsu and wrestling. Okay. I, thought was, I can see that. Yeah. Next up, I've got kendo, which is, it almost seems like, uh, it's like the heroic martial art. Like two people with swords facing off against each other, just ha ha ha, whack, whack, whack. And like the victor stands at the end. You know, it's like like the classic swordsman versus swordsman duel. Sure. And it's it's kind of fun to watch. Although it's so quick, I can't always tell what happened. I can't always tell who won. You hear the big bang and you know somebody got hit on the wrist or something but i can't tell who sometimes no like watching i mean any of these i would have no idea like when somebody got a point or something what what happened it was all too fast yeah 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 but that's just how good they are right so kendo is i guess like i said two people facing off and fighting using the bamboo katanas they're called shinai the ones for kendo and they wear Body armor, too. They've got a helmet on and a chest plate and arm and gloves. That's called bogu. So they actually whack each other really hard with these sticks. Mm -hmm. It's all about overhead strikes. Everything is like an overhead downward strike is the idea of kendo. Mm -hmm. So looking at that word kendo, again, it has its roots in kenjutsu. Kenjutsu was those sword techniques. Kendo is the more modern way of the sword. 
So I saw something from the Southern California Kendo Organization that I thought summed it up pretty well. How like the the modern Kendo, you know, focuses more on the personal development than the Kenjutsu from way back, right? Yeah. They said the concept of Kendo is to discipline the human character through the application of the principles of the katana. Okay. So I thought that was a really good way of summing up Kendo. And then you could think of Kenjutsu as the concept is to kill people through the application of the <laughs> principles of the katana yep, instead yep. of discipline the human character, you know? So I will say that uh, in high school, one of my friends had a kendo sword. A shinai. A shinai. And holy crap, those things hurt. <laughs> because we didn't have the armor, you know? So we all whacked each other a few times. So in kendo, is it the sword that's like... It's not just a solid piece of bamboo, right? Right. It's got like strips of bamboo that kind of yeah, give it a bit of yeah. give. Like it, yeah, exactly. It's like six or eight strips of bamboo tied together to form a sword. So it's almost, there's a tiny bit of like cushioning happening there. Yeah, so it really hurts, but it's not as bad as getting hit by like a solid piece of wood. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it like snaps really good and it's like, ah. I bet. It sounds cool, right? Doesn't it? It gives you that snapping sound because of the little slats yeah, of bamboo, yeah. doesn't it? We tried like, you know, doing little jousting fights or whatever, like, and just like, you know, don't light each other up in the face, right? Mm-hmm. But what ended up happening is we just kept accidentally hitting each other's hands and it oh. hurt so bad that we yeah. gave up on it real quick. <laughs> yeah. That does sound fun though. Another interesting fact about kendo is... It's very popular with police in Japan. It's very often a police officer that wins like the national kendo tournament. Mm. Um, I think like people that are good at kendo just like go to the police. They probably get recruited or oh, I can go there and I can keep practicing because the police do kendo as part of their training. Mm. That's interesting. So one of those old school sword arts we talk about was ei jitsu. So, of course, the modern form is Iaido, which is the art of drawing and attacking with a sword. So, at first, this sounds just like kendo, right? But I saw that one of the main differences is that this is mainly practiced solo instead of with a partner. Okay. And in kendo, you start, like, in the striking position. There's no drawing your sword. Mm, yeah. Yeah, there's a focus here in Iaido on striking from the draw. Although I saw that Kendo and Iaido are actually closely related enough that both are practiced under the All Japan Kendo Federation. Interesting. Yeah. And between Iaijutsu and Iaido, it sounds like in practice they're almost identical. It's just that name change has more to do with the emphasis on the idea of personal development. And again, different schools are going to have different ideas of where the focus needs to be. Next one I've got is Aikido. This is another one I'd heard of. This one's actually been somewhat controversial lately, or maybe just in the small world of YouTube martial arts that I happen to slightly wade into. Because there were people challenging Aikido people to fighting. Like there's these there's these MMA type people going around trying to like prove that like oh, all these other martial arts are BS. And they like challenge all these masters 
of different martial arts to a fight. It sounds to me like they don't understand the purpose of Gendai Budo. Right, but they get people that practice these to be like, no, it, it, I can do it. And they, oh. they every once in a while get people to fight and like sure. usually just absolutely annihilate them. Yeah. Because, I, you know, if someone's practiced fighting and someone else hasn't, you know, you know who's going to win. Uh, but anyways, Aikido means the way of harmony with ki. I saw it also could be translated as becoming one with the opponent. Okay. I think this one draws a lot of attention or a lot of hate maybe from other disciplines because they do these huge throws. It's, it's a lot of like one guy comes at the other guy and they like redirect their force and like really toss them like high into the air and they land on their back. And I think people were like, come on, that would never happen in real life. The, that you can only do that because the guy knows it's coming and you're, he's doing it with you. Sure. Yeah. But it still looks fun and it still looks like a good way to train yourself. Yeah. And like, this is one of, one of the modern martial arts that seems to me like it's really far away from the idea of trying to hurt people. And it's very much about the philosophy and self-improvement. So, so I saw that this was actually founded in the late 1920s by Morihei Ueshiba and his goal was to combine martial arts training with religious and political ideologies. So like even oh. from the beginning, he was bringing in a lot of ideas and using the martial art almost as like a vehicle for these ideas. You know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, Aikido is not focused on injuring or killing. It's all about redirecting the opponent's force, using their strength against them without injuring them. So it's kind of a more peaceful martial art, you could say. Yeah. I, like. I, I saw a lot of the footwork is based on Kenjutsu. So they almost move like a sword's bit, which is kind of cool. Okay. Next up, we got Kudo, which is the modern version of Kyujutsu, the art of the bow. But of course, this modern version is not so much about shooting arrows at people. It's more about shooting at targets and perfecting your form. But, Paul, I was interested to learn that it's not even so much about hitting the target as it is about your attitude and dignity. Like, this is, so much of this practice is internal. And if you watch Kudo practitioners, there's like this very specific way that they draw the bow and a very specific way that they stand. Yeah. And it's all about, like, form and using your inner purity i don't i don't know how to all these like <laughs> philosophy like words you know it's like your your inner peace or whatever comes through the bow and like you express it through your physical movements or something like that yeah watching this i could only describe it as deliberate mhm it's pretty popular like there are high schools that have clubs for this oh yeah it's super popular in japan so I saw there's this mental state called Mushin, which is the ultimate goal of Kudo. And they say this is the state of having a clear mind. I saw it called meditation through action. So it's like you're focusing so intently on the movements that you're making that it becomes a form of meditation. You block out all other thoughts and your full attention is on doing this perfectly. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem wild to me that 
they're so emphasized on the form that they judge some competitions just based on your movements and your form rather than if you actually hit the target or not. Yeah. Like that's, that's like, I never would have expected that. If I would have watched an archer competition a thousand of a thousand times, I would have thought they were just judging who got closer to the bullseye. Totally. Now I know. Next up, I got the all-time famous karate. Okay. Or karate. Parody. <laughs> karate. I don't know. Karate. Probably the most widely known Japanese martial art, which is really funny because technically... It's not even Japanese. Or it's Okinawan. It's very... It's yeah, Ryukyu. It's, it's weird. It's weird because... Yeah, Ryukyu is now part of Japan. You could say that now it's a Japanese martial art, but when it originated, it was not, right? So yeah, karate. Should I... How do I, how do I say it? <laughs> I'm just going to say karate. Okay. That's what I grew up with, karate. Yep. Karate comes from Okinawa, which was not a part of Japan until 1879 and karate originated there before that so you could say it's now japanese but it wasn't when it was formed doesn't matter just a fun little tidbit that i thought was interesting but so karate translates to empty hand because this is another unarmed art you're not using weapons and that makes a whole lot of sense when you look at the history because karate was developed during a time when weapons were banned so the basic movements in karate are thrusts, kicks, and arm strikes. And actually, we've talked before about how Okinawa had a lot of Chinese influence, right? There's a lot of trade going on between there and stuff. Yeah. So karate is actually a blend of native Okinawan martial arts and Chinese martial arts. That's cool. And nowadays, there are tons of different styles of karate taught all over the world. So one thing I learned about karate that was really cool is that or partly how it became so popular, you know, coming from Okinawa. Was it the movie? No, no. That maybe helped it become popular in America. Yeah. But so like you said, it was it had been in Okinawa for a long time. But there's a guy called Funakoshi Gichin, who is considered the father of karate, because he did some exhibitions in Tokyo sponsored by the Ministry of Education in 1917 and 1922 and he was really trying to you know like push karate as a cool thing people should do and because of that it got into japanese public schools as a thing that was taught at schools so then it became known all over the country that's pretty interesting i bet there's a lot more to that story yeah like how how exactly did this one guy just get it into all public schools you know he was just that good at it, and they're like, "Wow, this guy's amazing!" Uh, right place, teach right all time. Our kids you know, this. <laughs> yeah. How long has it been since uh, people were trying to like add to schools? <laughs> I don't know. Are you implying that nowadays they're just trying to take things away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It does seem that way here, anyway. Yeah, I guess they filled up. <laughs> there were too many things you could do. Well, now everybody's worried about: Are they teaching the kids things that? I agree with. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, the next one I've got is Shirinji Kempo. Ah, yes. The modified version of Shaolin Kung Fu. Yes. And this is a newer one, post-World War II. 
It was established in the late 1940s by Doshin So, who had been in Manchuria during World War II. So he had picked up on that Chinese kung fu. So he brought his own version of that back to Japan because he wanted to rebuild the self-confidence of the Japanese people. And he was going to do it through martial arts. Yeah, so this is like a super modern one relative to most of them, right? 1947. Yeah. And the philosophy seems to be really heavily stressed. You know, he was talking about the, yeah, the self-confidence of Japanese people as a whole. Pretty uh, big goals he had for this martial art. So I saw that this is a holistic system that involves three types of training, self-defense, mental training, and health training. So like the core of the philosophy of this one is that you need to train the body and the mind as one because the spirit and body are inseparable. Okay. I like that. Yeah. So I got one more and this was a little bit of a mouthful. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to try my best. Let's see how many how many takes this takes me. <laughs> I'm going to leave them all in. All right, all right. Uh, let's let's embarrass myself. <laughs> uh so this is Jitai Kaku Tojutsu. Ah, I was so close. It's Jutsu. I messed up the oh, last man. syllable. Jitai Kaku Tojutsu. That's as fast as I'm probably going to be able to say it. So I'm going to I'm going to leave it there and say I got it into. Sounded good to me, except that I just punched that into Google and nothing came up. Literally <laughs> oh, nothing. Oh, it's out there. Jitai Kakuto Jutsu. It's That's what you said, right? J-I-E-I-T-A-I-K-A-K-U-T-O-J-U-T-S-U. Okay. Well, geez, Google, you couldn't figure it out with just like two missing letters out of the like 15 letters in that word. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Google. That's more than 15. That's a whole lot of letters. It is, right? <laughs> yeah. In my defense, that's a lot of letters. It is. So this is the martial art of the Japanese self-defense forces. So this is a very modern martial art that's actually used and designed for combat and to hurt people and to kill people. Oh, wow. So it's kind of uh, very unique to it, Japan. Did you see it? Does it fall under one of those categories? The Gendai Budo? I mean, if it's new, it's got to be Gendai Budo. Even if yeah, it's... I saw it under Gendai Budo. But that's where it's that's why it's so interesting because it's the Gendai Budo, but it's actually very martial. It's yeah. very martial. Huh. Like it's one of those modern ones where it's like close quarters, hand to hand, like knife fighting, you know, elbows, grips, like. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, that, that sort of thing. Like the, this will actually keep you from dying in a pinch type of real life martial art. Sweet. All right, so we've learned a lot about a bunch of different types of Japanese martial arts. But there are some common threads that run through all of these different types of martial arts. Certain concepts many of which go way back in Japanese and even Chinese philosophy. So there's one concept called Aiki. You might notice this is the beginning of the word Aikido. <laughs> yeah. Because Aiki is translated as joining energy. It's that idea of redirecting or negating an opponent's power. And it's important to many martial arts, not just Aikido. 
So I saw that there seems to be this idea of kind of blending your intent and your physicality with your opponents in order to lead their actions and kind of guide them into a position where their balance is compromised, and you can use that to your advantage, or there's some other way that it puts them at a disadvantage. I don't yeah. know. A lot of these concepts seem like really deep philosophical things that are like hard to describe. Yes, you know? yes. So it I did took my best. me a while to wrap my head a little bit around what I thought they were trying to describe here. Mm-hmm. But one thing that made it a little more clear to me is like they're talking about like joining energies with your opponent, but it's not matching their energy for like you two to like pound against yeah. each You're other. You're not clashing your energy against theirs. Yeah, it's like synchronizing with theirs to be able to like pull them off balance like you said kind of yeah you like steer them into a position that you want them yeah yeah to kind of defang them or something so maybe it's almost like somehow like intuitively connecting with them in a way of like you know what they're gonna do or something like that you know what kept popping into my head reading about this stuff is that one scene in the movie hero i think it's like the first fight scene where Jet Li is facing off with some guy and they both have like these long spear type things and before the fight they just stop and like close their eyes and it's like they imagine the fight that's coming I don't know it doesn't yes. tie exactly yeah. in with this yeah. no, but I, I just exactly kept thinking of that mean. like they're they're examining the other person's intent and like yeah. seeing what's they imagine what energy is this coming at them. Huge, long, great fight scene. And when then when they actually fight, it's just like over real quick. Yeah. Because they've already like they already fought the fight in their minds with each other and knew who was gonna win. That movie is so freaking great. I love <laughs> that movie. It is one of the all time greats. Anyone out there that hasn't seen it, go look up Hero starring Jet Li. Yeah. It's a Chinese movie. I think it was actually brought to the u.s like the only reason it was in theaters in the u.s was because quentin tarantino was a big fan and he brought it over and like helped it get distribution in american movie theaters something but the story's good suspenseful it's unbelievably beautiful yeah the The cinematography is insane top notch there's not a bad thing i could say about the movie it's all perfect the ending is good yeah ah it's so cool great movie so another concept, it's called kokoro, which directly translates to heart, like your actual beating heart in your body is your kokoro. But in this context, it can also mean character or attitude, which of course is a very important concept in many martial arts, those modern ones that involve a lot of character development type ideas. Yeah, so this is very much intertwined with the idea of improving oneself. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned Funakoshi Gichin, known as a father of modern karate. Yeah. He had a quote, the ultimate aim of karate lies not in victory or defeat, but in the perfection of the character of its participants. Oh, that's so Kokoro of him. <laughs> totally. <laughs> like I was full of Kokoro, man. So the next concept I have here is courtesy. But I, I'm like struggling, Jason, with a way to really put this into a understandable two-minute segment here. So the Japanese word is 
Rei, R-E-I, right? Mm-hmm. And I saw that word used specifically to refer to the bow itself. Okay. So it seems like this Rei is the concept of like gratitude and politeness. And like it's something that you see in a lot of modern martial arts, even in sumo, right? They uh, bow to each other before and after each match. Yeah, I did see a quote that everything begins with Ray and everything ends with Ray. Mm. And they bow before and they bow after. Yeah. Courtesy for each other. Yeah. And it's, you know, when you see it at every single match and stuff, you might think, well, these people are just going through the motions. Like, that's just what you're supposed to do, you know? But that's almost more important than what's actually happening in the match. But also, like, so much of these martial arts, the modern ones, are about what's happening inside you. You know, you can't see everything that's going on with your eyes. And ideally, these people are actually using that time and that motion to really focus on, like, showing respect for your opponent and also for yourself. You know, it's about acting honorably. Like, if you're, if you're bowing and you don't feel that gratitude and that respect for yourself and for the people you're competing against and stuff... Yeah. That's like, that's not the purest form of sportsmanship. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I remember researching about the sumo and it's so important to do all of the bowing and the ritual aspects before and after the bout. It's so important. Like you can't not do those things and not do them seriously. Like there will be consequences for that. Yeah. You probably get in way more trouble with your teacher if you do that stuff wrong, then if you like mess up your actual techniques during the match. Yeah. I saw that the bow is a way of, so you're showing gratitude for a lot of different things. You know, this encompasses a whole lot of ideas. You're thankful for your opponent because they're giving you the opportunity to train against them. And you're thankful for your sensei, your teacher, for taking the time to teach you all of this stuff. Like you, you should show proper respect for all of these things that all these people are doing for you that's culminating in this moment. Yeah, and it's not just the match itself. Like, you should treat your training that same way. You know, you should live your whole life outside of the martial arts with courtesy and respect. Like, it goes to everything. It's not just like, oh, during the match you do this. Totally. Yeah, when we talk about like these philosophical ideas behind the modern martial arts, it's not just something where you walk into your dojo and you're like, okay, you flip the switch. No, and now I'm all respectful and I'm thinking about these, you know, philosophical ideas and stuff. And then you leave and you turn the switch off. It's like this is supposed to be training you to live your life in a better way, like to be more present and thoughtful about how you go through your entire life. Well said. Thank you. So there's another one, Kiai, that's kind of fun. Yeah. Because this one is fighting spirit. So if you've ever watched a kendo match, they scream when they attack each other, you know. Ah! Ah! Every time they make a strike, that's your Kiai. That's your fighting spirit. So there is a number of disciplines where you very much like it's important that you scream loudly when you make an attack because like spiritually you need to be on the same level as your actions. 
Yeah. And this isn't even exclusive to Japanese martial arts. This is in arts all over Asia. Very common thing to see. And so there, there are several purposes for this yell that you're making when you attack. I mean, originally, if you were trying to kill somebody, startling them would be a way to get a slight advantage, right? Throw them off guard a little bit. So you're startling your opponent. You might intimidate your opponent, but you're also proving your balance of spirit. Is the way I saw it phrased. Okay. But I also saw even physiologically, it can help you tighten your core muscles, which prevents injury. Like if you were to get hit in the stomach, you know, okay. when your muscles are tight. All right. It's not going to hurt as much. Helps helps your technique. And kiai are also used to teach students proper breathing technique. Ah. Because if anyone out there has been trained in singing, you know, when you breathe, when you're singing, you're supposed to use your diaphragm to breathe and not like breathe through your, or like push air through your throat yeah. as much. Yeah. They're like these different ways of breathing. And so the kiai, the CL, is supposed to originate in the diaphragm not in the throat. And like by teaching people how to yell properly, it kind of gives them a little more core strength and like make sure the energy is coming from somewhere deep and not just, I don't know where to go with that sentence. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, from deep, not from shallow. Yeah, exactly. People talked about it as a way of channeling and releasing your stored energy too. Okay. Actually, I saw that in some arts, like kendo, you mentioned kendo specifically, right? You don't even get a point unless your strike is accompanied by a strong kiai. Yeah, yeah. You, got, it's just, you have to do it. Like, you just have to do it. And just to be clear, that word kiai is the name for the yell, but you're not actually yelling the word kiai. Yeah, yeah. You're just like, I mean, we've probably all seen like people training for martial arts and they're like punching and kicking. They're like, ah, ah, ah. It's just, it's just a scream. It's just like a guttural emission of noise. Yeah. I saw that the sound itself is actually secondary to the intent behind it and the breathing and your fighting spirit. Okay. I don't know. I, I mean, my mind first goes to like, hi-ya. I don't know why, <laughs> like as a kid... <laughs> associated with karate i always hear like yeah. with the karate chop is like hi -ya! you know because yeah, it sounded good in a movie yeah no one's actually out there like punching someone going hi -ya! <laughs> it probably was from a bunch of movies yeah like uh it, surf ninjas or it, something knowing hollywood it might have been the same sound effect like reused every time they had a ninja movie. <laughs> yeah yeah every time they had a movie mm -hmm. Remember Surf Ninjas? I do. I And I remember loving it, even though it's probably the stupidest movie ever. But mm. I was like six when I watched it. Chris Farley had a, what was that, Beverly Hills Ninja? Yeah. Him? Yeah. I remember a lot of ninja movies as a kid, and I loved <laughs> all of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I definitely remember Karate Kid. Confession, I haven't seen Karate Kid. Okay, that's e all right. Either one of them. That's all right. I also don't think I've ever seen a Kurosawa film. Okay. That's okay. Thank you for not judging me, Paul. You know, Kurosawa's very first directorial debut film was a film about judo. Hmm. I did not know that. Fun fact. That is fun. Maybe I should put that in the intro. <laughs> so, um, are you more of a hard guy or a soft guy, Jason? I'm going to need you to be more specific there, Paul. 
Um, Are you at this very moment? <laughs> <laughs> Do you subscribe more to the uh, Goho method or the Juho method? Goho being the hard method where you meet force with force and you clash with your opponent and try to overwhelm them. Or Juho being the soft method where you absorb your opponent and use their force against them. I feel like just applying those words to life, Juho would sound like you're a really manipulative person <laughs> and you like make people do things without realizing, you know, without them realizing that you're manipulating them or something. Sure. I feel, well, I, I, I'm probably, I feel like I'm the worst here because I'm like, oh, I describe myself. I'm probably Goho unless I realize like, oh, this person's actually like strong. Then I start getting Juho. You're talking about actually fighting somebody? Yeah, either, either way. Or just like going up against them mentally You could be fighting them like mm. in an argument or something. Sure. You know. I feel like you're generally more manipulative than I am. <laughs> I mean, you definitely are. I don't feel like a manipulative person, do you think? What do you think? Tell me, Paul. Am I a manipulative person? You've known me for a very long time. Um, I usually say what I mean, right? You do. You do. I, you know... There's maybe some small ways where you're slightly manipulative. Let's spend some time on this. <laughs> I need a specific example. Oh, man. I'm trying to like... I'd say that the, the only way you're manipulative is, if we even want to call it this word, is like you're so clear about your preferences sometimes, and you're like so dead set on like, this is the best way to do it. This is the only way I'm ever going to do it, that it kind of like forces people into just doing things your way <laughs> all right but you're very honest you're very upfront you tell people exactly what you want and what you're thinking so in all those ways you check out all right and you Thank know you. you've already said i'm manipulative so i think you would agree with you on on that a lot <laughs> but you know i don't want anyone thinking poorly of jason it's one you of those things in life where a lot of those qualities perfect are what give you some of your strong points. Like you're reliable, you're, you know, you know what you want, you're, you do things your way. Like those things can be really good sometimes, but it also leads to those other things too. So it's like, you wouldn't be you without it. I don't want you to change. Well, Paul, that's the most candid you've ever been. I think about like <laughs> evaluating you asked me as a person. No, I appreciate it. And I feel like, I mean, you said some nice things right there, and I appreciate that. Just telling, telling it how I see it. Now, why am I manipulative, Jason? <laughs> because you always tell me that you lie to me about little things just to make things easier for yourself. It's true. It's true. I am I am 120% a white lie guy. Yeah. And I, And I think some people that I know don't care at all. But other people, like, will get mad, like, just the fact that I lied, you know, even though I lied. I was, in my mind, I'm just trying to make life easier for everybody and, like, void unnecessary whatever. Sure. But some people don't like that. Some people take offense to that. And I understand why. Yeah. But it's not going to change me. I feel like I'm honest when it really matters. I think so, too. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't BS about, like, really important things. Yeah. All right. Use the, any, anything else to add to the psychoanalysis uh, of Paul, Paul? you're great, and I love <laughs> you, and I'm not good at, you know, elucidating, uh, you know, personality traits 
way that you just did, but uh, but you're great, Paul. Ah, thanks, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I agree, Jason. I am pretty great. <laughs> so anyway, hard soft methods. Did we cover? Did we cover those? I, I mean, think so. like briefly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That was kind of. I mean, that I, was, I, you did you did cover it. Yeah, yeah. Hard methods are you're directly opposing an opponent's force. Soft methods are you're applying force indirectly in the context of a fight. You know, maybe you dodge yeah. an attack and then put your opponent off balance yeah. instead of like parrying or blocking. Yeah, blocking it and then hitting them back, you know. Are you, yeah. Yeah. You know, both ways have their place. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about Aikido being really based in that idea of like using your opponent's force yeah, against them. Yeah, that's very soft. That's yeah. like 100% soft. So you could say Aikido was like all soft, but it seems like most martial arts styles dip their toes in both sides. Like you kind of can't have one without the other. Yeah. And I saw that illustrated in the idea of the hard and soft methods being like the yin and yang. Like they are different, they are opposites, but they both need to be there to form this uh, balanced whole. Yeah, it depends who your opponent is. Like if you're, if you're practicing kendo, if I thought I could overwhelm an opponent, I would just go hard right away, right? Just wham, 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 and try to overwhelm them. If I thought my opponent was a super aggressive person, I'd probably go softer and defend and like try to get them to overextend themselves. Yeah. Or you could take into account differences in size. You're going to have a easier time using soft methods yeah, against yeah. somebody that's way bigger than you. If you've got a size and strength advantage, use it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, man. Now I'm thinking about sumo and like watching, you know, at the tournament yeah, I was at, watching yeah. little guys go up against these monsters and, you yeah. know, they would they, use that really they effectively. Meet real quick. And then all of a sudden the big guy's like sideways falling down. He yeah. just flipped them, you know? Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. The last concept I have is called shuhari, and this is a word that describes the learning process. So there are three pieces here, three kanji in this word. The first one is shu, meaning protect. And this is about learning the fundamentals, focusing on technique, and most importantly, following your master's instructions. Like you are, at this stage, learning the basics. You don't get to do things your own way. You do them the right way. You do them the way that you're taught because that's how you get the fundamentals. The next kanji is ha, meaning detach. So at this point, you've learned enough. You've got the basics, and now you can start to branch out, maybe start learning from other masters. You're going to focus more on the theory and the underlying principles behind the techniques rather than focusing on the techniques themselves. So you're getting like a deeper type of knowledge about it by kind of spreading out a little more. I feel like that's that the best sense. way to learn. Yeah. Like I want to know the how, the why, when did we start doing this? Why did we start doing it? I feel like I need all of that for everything to really like lock in place in my mind and make sense. Totally. I get that too, for sure. And then the last part of that word is ri, meaning separate. So this is where you've learned everything you can learn from your teachers, and now you understand it well enough, you can start to innovate yourself. You can start to adapt what you've learned to new situations. 
and then maybe you know you become the next master and you're teaching this new stuff to to new students so i thought this is a really cool concept just this way of thinking about how to master something and it's not you know this isn't a specific martial arts thing this whole shuhari concept can apply to anything that you're trying to master you got me thinking about <laughs> time now like you know how you're going through all the steps and then eventually you become the teacher. You got me thinking about like every like old grizzled master out there at some point was a young person with their first lesson, not knowing anything. Yeah. And like how we view that person now is very much not how they've always been. Time is crazy, man. Yeah. Time gets me. Yeah. If I ever want to blow my mind, I just try to understand time. Oh, uh, dude. <laughs> time is fascinating, but also kind of terrifying. Yeah. I just have, if I really think deeply about it, I have trouble wrapping my mind around it. Yeah. I feel like we oh. must have a very limited, we have such a limited perception probably of time that it's, I, I can't really understand what it really is. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you've heard of, about that idea of like, fourth dimension is time right yeah. and there are all these other timelines around us that we're not aware of because we yeah. only exist in the three dimensions right but we can like move willingly around the three dimensions and we're like pushed along the time dimension dragged yeah I think like why I personally feel dragged how it's like so different in that way yeah uh, yeah that's that's like what blows my mind that uh, i i Let's let's not go any deeper. We've been talking a lot about uh, time travel recently. With we were watching uh, Steins Gate. Yeah, a lot of time travel stuff in there. Yeah. Anyway, Paul, have you ever in any of like your jobs that you've had? Have you ever seen Japanese concepts come into play in your job? Maybe that's a really weird way of asking that. I, yeah, I don't know. So, like in my time at the company I currently work at. There was this training class that I took about lean. Have you heard of that? No. Some it's, acronym? I think. I don't really... It was a long time ago. But it was like this way of doing business that Toyota had developed. I think it was specifically about like assembly lines or something. And it was this whole system. And, uh, you know, American car companies were crap for a long time, right? So Toyota sent people over from Japan to like teach this method to streamline things. And I just thought it was interesting that like this Japanese company came and kind of taught American businesses how to do business efficiently. <laughs> um, because going back to the Shuhari concept, I actually, when I was Googling around for more info about that, I found a website that talked about Shuhari in relation to software development. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Just thought it was interesting how like these old Japanese concepts get pulled into American business. <laughs> <laughs> I did see one uh, Twitter thread like a couple months ago where someone was like, these 10 Japanese concepts will blow your mind and change your life. And they just like, you know, Japanese has a lot of words for like concepts, you know? Yeah. And they like did these 10 things. And then like the first comment was a Japanese person saying like, this is so bad. You're misunderstanding almost all of this. 
please delete. <laughs> totally. I can totally see that. But the post had like 100,000 likes or something. So I think a lot of it, I think a lot of the reason that you see the Japanese words pop up like that is because of that, just this like association that people have with Japan being like, oh, there's so much like old mystical knowledge there. You yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I very much like Japan, but Japan does not have everything figured out. Yeah, there's like, I don't know, it's a weird thing. Like the way that people romanticize Japan as like they have these secrets that nobody else yeah, knows. Yeah. No, know? there's nowhere in the world that's like just got it figured out like that, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of amazing things about Japanese society that I really wish we had here, but there are a lot of messed up things in J- Japanese society too. Yep. That's, that's, that's just humanity, you know? Yep. Can't have the good without the bad. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, I think that's all I got about martial arts. Me too. But before we end the episode, we should probably throw out an announcement. Right, Paul? A very special, exciting announcement. Yeah, I do think it's exciting. So I know we've mentioned before, once or twice, that we're going to be in Japan this spring, March and April. And we received some interest from listeners in meeting up for a beer or just to hang out and chat. So, while we're in Japan, we're thinking we would set up a meetup event, a podcast meetup event. On April 5th, we are going to be at Hitachi no Brewing Lab in Akihabara, grabbing some drinks after dinner. That's right, 7 p.m. Akihabara is in Tokyo, by the way. Indeed. Uh, and this brewing lab is right by Akihabara Station. And I'm going to put a link to Google Maps with the location in the show notes, so be sure to check that out if you need any help finding the place. It's a beautiful location. They got the river right there. They got this outdoor seating area with lights and everything, and it's all pretty and sparkly. It's going to be great. It's going to be so cool. And everyone's invited. If you're hearing my voice right now, you're invited. You don't have to RSVP. You can just show up, hang out with us, hang out with some other listeners and Japan enthusiasts. It's going to be awesome, and we would love to see you. Just going to throw it out there that we're also going to be in Osaka March 30th. That evening, we'll probably be going out for some drinks. So if you can't make Tokyo and you happen to be in Osaka on that day, uh, you can hit us up via Instagram direct message, maybe the best way, Jason. Sure. Yeah, I'll be checking Instagram. Or I made a Twitter. You can tweet at what? us. What? <laughs> I finally I finally gone done and did it, Jason. Paul's an official twit now. <laughs> So uh, my handle is at SJP podcast. So I'll be tweeting out random cool Japan facts I come across in my research. Maybe some old photos I have of Japan and maybe some stuff. Well, we're there in Japan too. Sweet. Try to live in the moment, not be phone life too much, but there might be some things so cool. I just have to share them. Well, you know, you got to go to the bathroom once in a while. So my plan is on the toilet I'm going to take all the cool pictures I've taken, stick them on Instagram. (laughs) Every Is that that oversharing? Every time I see an Instagram post from you now, (laughs) I'm just going to imagine you on the toilet. (laughs) Please do. (laughs) So other than the new Twitter, where can people find us, Jason? Well, we're also on Instagram, as I just mentioned. We are at SJP Podcast there. And you can also find us on our website, sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. Lots of good stuff there. 
some useful travel tools if you're planning a trip to Japan? Yeah, I recently did a dry pack for like, what am I going to bring Japan? I put it all together in my backpack and the packing guide on the site was actually really useful. Oh, good. I was like, oh, I forgot sunglasses. Like it, it was nice to look at that and be like, make sure I actually had everything I was going to need. I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear it wasn't a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's great. Cool. Well, Paul, what is coming up in the next episode? We've got a very special episode for the next episode. We are going to be doing an interview with a special guest. Ooh, is it a secret guest or do we get to know who? A fellow podcaster. Her name is Miyuki Siguchi. She's also a certified guide, certified with the government. Yeah, so we're going to get an idea of what she does and how the whole guide process works a little bit, I think. And we're also going to get a little bit of a local's perspective on Japan. Yeah, should be a lot of fun. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.